Oda, 30 feet away. Jumper in the air. He's got it! Lamar Odom has won it for Rhode Island! In traffic, off-balance shot. Thank you! Jared Terrell in Rhode Island has done it in the final five seconds on a circus shot from Jared Terrell. A career-high night for him and a victory for Rhode Island. Look it up, Dutton. Run out, Rowdy, look out! Oh, steal by Vance Russell off of Young. Three. Don't do it to him like that, Vance. Dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He dunks it home as the buzzer sounds. And Rowdy, the 8-10 champs. Rowdy Baseline fans, welcome to episode 7 of this season. And it's that best time of year that is March Madness, Gary. And our special guest, Bill Koch. It's the greatest time of year, if we can all agree on that one. Sure can, guys. My favorite time of year, that's for sure. Yeah, believe me, I'm like, we have a bunch of tournaments coming around. The A-10 Women's Tournament in two days, and then the A-10 Men's Tournament next week, and then Selection Sunday right around the corner, which it feels like this year has flown by so much because we've actually gotten a lot of college basketball compared to last year. It's been nice. I, I was I was worried in... You know, maybe December or January when, when COVID started to come up, Omicron obviously started to spread a little bit and, and there were games being postponed and canceled. And, uh, you know, you, I, I think you just have that natural reaction. You go back to a couple of years ago where it's like, oh, no, you know, are, are we really going to live through this again? Are our team's going to be able to finish seasons. And yeah, I think it's a credit to players doing their part to get vaccinated. The coaching staff's the same the medical staffs at, at all the schools, you know, and the student bodies generally, you know, I know a lot of schools have, have put in mass mandates and, and uh, you know, vaccination mandates. And I know that sometimes that's uncomfortable and, you know, not necessarily what you want to do, but I, I admire the folks who sacrifice for the greater good. And I think that's why we're sitting here in early March and, and we're able to talk about the game on the floor as opposed to everything else that's going on around it. It's true. Yeah. It's- <laughs> And there is definitely, definitely a lot to talk about. We're going to touch on our men and the struggles, the women and the amazing season they're having and the history that could be made this weekend. And we may even t- like touch on the March Madness as a whole, but we might as well jump right into it, Bill, with our URI men's team. I think the simplest question to ask is where and what went wrong this season? Boy, how long do you want to go? I, I know this is <laughs> you know, it, it's it's just been a real struggle, guys. And you know, I have uh, I have Ken Palm open in front of me. You know, just looking at URI's numbers, and, and we'll just do it statistically because I think it's you know they paint a pretty clear pattern. You know, they're two forty six in offense, which is the worst they've been since two thousand oh four oh five. You know, they're in the three fifties in foul shooting. They're in the three twenties in turnover percentage. You know, just just really you know really struggled at that end of the of the floor. Whether it's you know with guard play or turnovers from the front court or uh, decision making in general. You know, there've been a lot of nights where they haven't seemed to have a lot of zip on offense you know and then defensively I, I mean they're good inside the three-point arc they're they're elite at blocking shots you know you would think that it translate to more you know in terms of like forcing turnovers and, and whatever else that's generally who they've been in the past they're good solid defensive team uh, but just offensively they've, they've struggled so much this year uh, particularly in a 10 play that it you know it gets to a point where you just can't overcome it now, the, the one thing that me and Andrew have talked about, and that we've said this on the podcast before, this team on paper should be, 
you know, a contender in the A-10 tournament, top four, you know, et cetera, but is that such a tough time in A-10 play? You know, where do you think that started? You know, is it is it something going on with culture, the coaching, the team, et cetera? Like, what do you think is, is going on to, to cause these issues, to put them right now in 10th place as of this recording, obviously with the St. Louis game tonight, but obviously then, you know, going in next week into the A-10 tournament? It's it's been an extended period, guys, and and you know you go back to the end of the 2019-20 season, uh, you know right before the start of the pandemic, you finish three and four there, you you fall out of what would have been NCAA tournament position, um, including those seven games. URI is 27 and 42 in their last 69 as they go into St. Louis. They're 15 and 24 in their last 39 A10 games. And I know when Dan Hurley got here, he said the hardest part of a rebuild isn't getting the players in place and the funding and, and the fan base and whatever else it's actually getting you guys to believe and, and, you know, sort of get that losing feeling that sort of those losing habits to flush those out. It's the hardest thing to do in college basketball. And I think when you're on the other side of it, as you or I has been, you know, for the last two seasons, you just see guys who don't play with a ton of confidence and, you know, don't necessarily play possession by possession like their life depends on it. Um, you know, there's not a great deal of focus there at times. You, you you look at the turnover numbers, they reflect that. You know, so I just think it's it's a lot of little things that championship programs do, uh, that programs who struggle tend to not do. They're not as buttoned up. They're not necessarily, you know, as tight in that way. And And I think you've seen that play out. And that's married with, you know, quite honestly, what I think is a lack of talent on this roster. I, I mean, you lose two potential cornerstones in Tyrese Martin and, and Jacob Toppin in the transfer portal. That's crushing uh, the replacements you brought in. If you look at their team right now, you'd struggle to argue for any more than one guy uh, on any of the all A-10 teams. No contenders for major award winners. You know, it's, it's just a combination of things that have landed them uh, in discussion to play on the first night of the A 10 tournament. And quite frankly, that would be an embarrassment for this program, in my opinion, where we've come from and the so called names you have on paper. But that also leads us into where I think we can all point the blame at certain people, but I think maybe not particularly Coach Cox, but I think a lot of blame has to go to the coaching staff in general, not preparing the players on the court. Some of the stuff is easy to fix. Free throws is easy to fix. Inopportune timeouts, stuff like that, setting up the defenses. And I just, I would like to, if that, where do you think, is it more of the players need to play harder or the coaching needs to improve or stuff like that? I, I think it's generally a marriage of the two. When you look at really good programs, I, I think you have uh, at winning programs. You have a, a very clear identity, a, a way you would like to play. Uh, and you recruit to that and you coach to that and you develop your players to that, you know, at Rhodey in, in David's four years, I don't necessarily know if I've seen them commit to maybe one or two or three concrete strengths that they're going to use year in and year out, that they're going to recruit to, that they're going to build their roster towards. You know, if you look at the best teams in the country, they're, they're generally identifiable by how they play year in and year out, whether it's a certain type of offense or a certain type of defense or a certain type of guy they have on the roster. Uh, you know, Rhode Island hasn't necessarily had that in the last four years. Uh, you know, I also think that you put part of it on the players as well. I, I mean, they're the ones on the floor performing or, or in this case, not performing. 
Um, you know, you'd like to think that, that they would take a certain amount of pride in, in what they put out there on a given night, um, you know, take a certain amount of responsibility. And I think that requires some maturity, guys, and it requires some leadership. And, uh, you know, I, I look at really good teams, and I think the guys who lead those teams are pretty easy to identify, and I think often it's more than one. You know, on this roster, you, you've got guys who are transfers, who have played at other places, guys who haven't necessarily been here for four years. You don't necessarily have a, a quote-unquote best player who will lead by example. Uh, you know, that guy isn't really easy to point at and identify. You know, so I think you've, you've got a lot of questions here, and I think that that leads into the coaching staff and the players, you know, maybe looking confused at times or, or being inconsistent. Now, obviously, that, that brings us right to the, the important question here. David Cox has one year left on his contract. No extension signed as of right now. You know, the question I have for you, Bill, is what's next? You know, does this program, should this program give Cox an extra year or two? You know, obviously with how the things have played out, you know, are they going to go through with a buyout and potentially, you know, terminate the contract similar to what we saw happening at UMass with Matt McCall? Or, you know, what, you know, what is the next steps uh, with a team that's potentially going to play on the first night of the A-10 tournament, has had a rough start. I'm just saying for everyone who's listening on the podcast, as you went over those stats from Ken Palm, I just put my hand on my head and shook it, as every URI fan probably has done over the last couple of weeks. You know, what is the next step? Yeah, so just to reset on the business side, uh, David has one year left on his deal, 2022-23. There is a $300,000 buyout there, which is his base salary. He has not been extended to this point. Uh, to my knowledge, there haven't been any contract extension talks between him and, and URI. You know, I generally think that if you have coaches who are successful or, or who are in demand elsewhere, I think those conversations happen at the mid-major level. You know, you look at the women's program with Tammy Reese, she got an extension after year two. Uh, the men's program previously with Dan Hurley had multiple extensions, uh, you know, and that's furthering commitment. It's uh, raising the buyouts, so you're protecting yourself financially later on. Um, you know, the fact that, that those things haven't happened uh, leads you to believe that, you know, your eye isn't necessarily going to commit much beyond next year. And, and if you have one year left on your deal in college basketball, it makes it very difficult to recruit. Um, you know, it's hard to pledge your future as a player uh, to a coach who doesn't necessarily have a certain future uh, with his or her program. You know, so that's just the business side of it. Uh, I think generally when you lead into the last year of contracts, uh, you're in that penultimate year like David is now. I think it's only natural for fan bases and, and media types and athletic directors to discuss what the future might be for the coach. You know, I would say that I'm usually hesitant to do that publicly or in print uh, or online because I don't think it's really fair to talk about something while they still have a job. And, and I don't necessarily think it's fair to candidates to talk about them publicly uh, while they still have jobs. Um, you know, it's it's something that they're focused on, something they're, they care a great deal about, they put a lot of time and effort into. You know, but the business side of it, the, the reality on that side says that, uh, you know, URI is committed for one more year, and, and in college basketball, that's not necessarily uh, all that significant. I completely agree with you. Obviously, I wouldn't want to ask you any names or anything, but I feel like we could get away with asking – if URI was to make a change, would you see them going with an experienced guy with head coaching experience or 
maybe giving a longtime assistant at a big name school that's worked under a big name head coach a chance. Oh, I'll, I'll give you a really unfair answer. You have to find the right guy, whoever that is, <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, on paper or in terms of experience or, or lack thereof, who knows? Uh, I mean, it's generally when you make coaching hires, it's about fit. It's about someone you think will represent the school well, uh, someone who has some sort of track record of developing players, uh, you know, some sort of aptitude for running a program, for organization, for discipline. When you or I went from Dan Hurley to David Cox, you're, you're looking at familiarity with the roster, uh, you know, someone who you certainly want to be a figurehead of your men's basketball program, you know, somebody who had extensive sideline experience uh, in Power Fives, in the Big East, in the A-10. He knew the league well. Um, you know, it was a, a pretty safe appointment and, and one that I don't think drew a lot of questions at the time, um, you know, because the roster coming back was pretty good. The program was coming off two NCAA tournaments and anything that you could do to, to maintain that culture, that DNA seemed like a good idea at the time. You know, I would look and I would say that in URI's history, generally, uh, aside from Al Skinner, who was promoted to replace Tom Penders, the coaches who have won here have been head coaches hired from other places, uh, whether that's Jack Kraft, whether that's Tom Penders himself, uh, Jim Herrick, Dan Hurley. Even Jim Barron, to a lesser extent, who did not make an NCAA, but was a postseason coach frequently, uh, was an Atlantic 10 coach of the year caliber guy in multiple seasons. Um, I don't necessarily think that URI, from an administrative standpoint, uh, from a financial standpoint, is a learn-on-the-job type of place. Uh, you don't necessarily blow away Dayton and VCU and St. Louis with your spending. Uh, the flip side of that, though, is I think there is plenty here to win. Uh, I think URI offers enough to be in the top third of the A-10 annually. Um, facilities are certainly nice enough to recruit to. Uh, the practice facility is still out there in the ether, but once you firm that up, break ground on it, get it started, you'll, you'll be even on more solid footing uh, with the other schools in the league. Um, so I think URI has something attractive to offer uh, to any potential coaching candidate, uh, whether that's internal or external. Now, to follow up on that, with all that's happening in the A-10, with us adding Loyola, the other jobs that may or may not become open and certain jobs that may be, should be open, i.e. Duquesne, but we're not going to get into that. Um, where would you rate URI as being a desirable spot on the jobs that could potentially become open in the next year, two, in the immediate future and jobs that could become open? Well, so Duquesne made a financial decision, I, I think. Uh, you know, Keith Dambrick signed a seven-year deal for $7 million. He has two years left on that. I can't see Duquesne buying him out and paying another coach at the same time. They're just not that type of place financially. Uh, you know, and that's not who they've been historically. Um, I think URI is a better job than UMass, frankly. Uh, I think the building is better. I think it's a better area to recruit to. You're a little closer than New York and New Jersey. You know, the campus is nicer. You are uh, a little closer to civilization, I would say. <laughs> uh, you know, I've made that drive a couple times this year. It is so, really so, so have we. It, it is really remote. Um, you know, I think URI is a better job who has won more recently. Uh, than UMass. Um, you know, I, I certainly think that, you know, URI is a better job than that. Uh, you know, if, if 
other places in the league were happening to, to open. And, you know, I could maybe see one more, um, you know, potentially two, but I, 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 I'd really be surprised by that. Um, you know, potentially one more in the league, though. Uh, you know, I, I think URI is a good job in this league, e- even adding Loyola. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that it's, it's going to be on par with Dayton or VCU or St. Louis uh, or Loyola from the standpoint that Loyola has recent success. They've got significant money behind them. They have the Chicago market to recruit. Um, you know, it's, it's a good area to be in, in terms of trying to get players. Um, you know, is Rhode Island as good a job as Richmond? Uh, you know, is it as good a job as, say, St. Joe's when it's maximized? I, I think yes. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it takes a backseat to anyone, um, you know, with the exception of, say, Dayton, St. Louis, um, you know, and VCU from, from that standpoint. I, I think it's a place that you can win, and I think it's a place that you can win if you get someone in here who can maximize it and do it the right way. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's certainly a place that allows you a chance to get to an NCAA tournament. I love the way that sounds. I was going to do. I was literally. It's funny as you, you were going over the schools, the three that were left. I said them like in my head. I was like, other than Dayton, St. Louis, we see you. And as we <laughs> wrap up our talk about the men, I guess the simple question to ask is: Do you think they have a shot at making it to at least Friday? in DC, not even going to bother saying making it to Sunday. Cause I think we can all agree that that's a pipe dream, but I think if they can make it to Friday, that might be, might be considered a success. So you're assuming that they're playing on Wednesday and winning two games, or are you assuming that they're playing on Thursday and winning one? Hmm. So I'm going to go there assuming that they're playing Thursday. And winning one. I, I find it hard to believe that the way that the schedule, like right now, I think as we stand right now, they're 10. I believe you're, you're right. You're I right. think if they can go one and one between now and St. Louis, I don't think they're playing Wednesday. You know, so if you're in a 7-10 game, you know, and you look at the A-10 right now, and you're looking at the teams who are ahead of you, and right now the seventh place team is George Mason. George Mason's okay. Like, they've had a decent first year under Cam English. They've, they've had a reasonable turn under him. They've got some good players. Uh, you know, Deshaun Schwartz was a transfer from – Colorado, uh, Devontae Games is, is a transfer from Tennessee. Uh, Josh Aduro has been one of the better players in the league this year. Hmm. Um, you know, but we've had a lot of this discussion on paper. And I certainly think if you look your eye on paper, um, they're not much better or worse than, than George Mason in that way. Um, you know, right now I'm looking at Ken Palm, George Mason's 108, your eyes 122. So you're talking about a, maybe a two or three point spread on a neutral floor. Um, you know, it's just a matter of whether or not URI will show up. Will they commit? Will they be disciplined? Will they defend? Will they play like they did against Davidson generally? Or are you going to see an effort like they had at Fordham, um, you know, where they were just poor and, and wouldn't have beaten many teams that night? Um, I just think that they're too unpredictable. I can't see them winning, you know, much more than one game. I can't see them getting past, you know, say a quarterfinal level. Uh, in the tournament it's just they have not been consistent enough this season for you to have any sort of uh, I guess confidence that that they could win multiple games on back-to-back days and and keep it going now my last question about the men what do you think who do you think wins in DC and how many bids do you ultimately think the A-10 gets 
I mean, VCU is playing great la- right now. And, and obviously, you know, we saw them blow out St. Bonaventure last night. Uh, St. Bonaventure really missed Osuna Osuna. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking at the way that VCU attacked the rim at will in that game, you don't do that with the shot blocker in there. Uh, you know, Hassan Ward had a field day in the first half. Um, you know, I'm looking at at D.C. and I'm thinking Dayton has the best win in the league this year. They beat Kansas. If that version of Dayton shows up every night, they're going to be really hard to beat. You know, I, I think VCU is right there and will have a huge home court advantage. You know, I, I think that they're going to have Big crowd support there. They're on great momentum right now. Uh, they've played themselves on in the NCAA bubble. That fan base knows, you know, they know that feeling of March, that postseason. Uh, you know, they will sense that. I, I don't think that anyone below the top three right now can win the tournament. And, and I say that with all due respect to St. Bonaventure. I, I just think that without Osunayi, um, I, I, I don't think that that's the type of team with their roster construction that can afford an injury to somebody like that or Kyle Lofton or Jalen Attaway or Jaron Holmes. I, I think that they'll fall short. If you had to force me into a pick right now, I would say that VCU will win the A-10 tournament. And I think that if VCU does that uh, and Davidson does not make the final, I think you're looking at a one-bid league. Which is not normal for the A-10 in the last couple of years. No, no, not at all. Oof. Oof. Well, let's shift gears to the good team, (laughs) the URI women's team, and the amazing success story that they have been this year. And take it away, Bill. Like, I just – I remember my student years, and there would be 10 people in there, and they did a pizza giveaway for students, and I walked out of there with three pizzas because nobody showed up for them. But now you get – I want to say two great crowds. One, the record in the Ryan Center for Women's Basketball. Second one with a pretty close one there. Um, And a team that is – on fire, you know, playing very well in A-10 play and with, you know, two losses to the top team in the A-10 for women's basketball. Yeah, what Tammy Reese has done with the URI women is is something that, you know, quite honestly, I, I think a lot of us were skeptical about whether or not anyone could do it, you know, because this program has been down for so long, has struggled for so long. Only one NCAA bid previously, that's 1996. You know, and in recent seasons, it have just really struggled, uh, you know, and it's not, as you guys mentioned, it, it's not necessarily an environment that's going to draw kids in, uh, in terms of recruits. It, it's not a place that you're going to bring a, a prominent high school player to and, and have them be impressed by it. Uh, you know, but if you consider the crowds for, for Dayton, uh, you know, and, and a couple others down the stretch, uh, I mean, it felt like a proper occasion at, at the Ryan Center. Uh, you know, and I think a lot of that is, is due to the, the energy created by the head coach and, and by her players, um, you know, and I, it's been really fun to watch them just develop over the three years that Tammy Reese has been here. I, I think it's just been a, it's been a very conventional build. I, I think when you look at a coach and, and you hire a coach and generally you're doing that in a difficult time, you know, more often than not college basketball, you're hiring a coach because the previous coach struggled. You know, you look at what's happened at Bryant with Jared Grasso. Uh, you know, he gets hired to a three and twenty-eight job. First two years, they're below five hundred. They go ten and twenty, fifteen and seventeen. Last year, they're over five hundred. They're in the league championship game. This year, they're twenty and nine. They win a regular season league title. That's the sort of course you like to see programs take, and the URI women have done that. Uh, you know, first year a little more competitive. Second year, a little more competitive than that. And now third year, school record for wins, 
with 22 as they go to the A-10 tournament. Uh, you know, a capable roster with difference makers on it, uh, you know, and a real chance to get to the final this weekend and, and get a third crack at date. Now, you bring that up, that third crack at Dayton. Would you say that that is your eyes only shot at getting the tournament is getting that auto bid? So just looking at bracketology right now on ESPN.com, as of Tuesday morning, uh, URI was the sixth team out uh, in the field. Uh, You know, we we were at practice Tuesday morning. I asked Tammy Reese, I I said, you know, of course, when you go to a tournament and you play any game, you want to win it. Uh, You know, but I wonder just – in terms of your NCAA chances, what, what sort of emphasis are you placing on this? You know, obviously, as a coach, you know, I'm a realist. I don't, I don't BS people. I don't BS our team. We're out, in my opinion, right now. We're out. They're not going to put us. We lost to Dayton twice. Um, they're not going to put us in the tournament over an SEC or an ACC or a Big Ten team. Um, those leagues are extremely strong, and unfortunately, those teams are beating each other back and forth. Even the Pac-12. They're teams that normally dominate and don't lose are losing to those teams on the bubble. So now those teams are getting quality wins, so, and it hurts us. And so I told them that. We know this. Now, do I know we're probably going to the WNIT as a realist? Yes, we probably are. We have that already in our pocket. So now it's your backs against the wall. We got to go out and we got to win this tournament if you want to go to the NCAA. And that's not pressure. That's bad. So how bad do you want it? We say it every day, whatever it takes. So that's what we have to do. And, and again, I'm a realist. I, I know where we are right now. And so you go and you get the job done. You do what has, has to be done in order to get what you want. And right now, in my opinion, we have to win the I think it was refreshing that she was willing to frame it that way. And I think it benefits her players that she's going to be honest with them in, in that way. You know, and, and like she said, we, we have to approach it one game at a time. We have a double bye with a two seed. Uh, you know, we'll play the seven seed in the first game. Um, you know, whether that's St. Joe's or Duquesne. Uh, St. Joe's, they, they had a hard time with on the road. Duquesne, the same. Uh, so it's not going to be easy. They're not going to overlook either one of those opponents. Um, but I think they're, they're very, you know, they're very clear-eyed about where they stand right now. And, and I feel like if Dayton wins the A-10 tournament, it, it is probably a one-bid league. I, I, know, I know myself and Andrew heard that quote from Tammy and, Obviously, in chatting with her on previous episodes, we know that she's real and she doesn't take anything for granted here. Obviously, with the way that the bracket is working out, URI end up being the two seed, leaves Dayton and VCU on the other side of the bracket, you know, coming in. Do you think, and and again, this is all being hypothetical, right? Do we think that if VCU is able to knock Dayton out, then URI's chances may improve or they still have to win the tournament here? You know, oddly, they didn't play VCU this year. That was one of the COVID games that they lost. Uh, they were supposed to have VCU at home. Uh, I certainly think that, that they would be ready for VCU. They obviously dumped them out of the A-10 tournament last year. Uh, you know, so there is some bad blood there, you, you could say. Uh, you know, sporting bad blood, not real bad blood. <laughs> uh, you know, but, but sports bad blood. There, there's some sports hate there, I, I think, uh, you know, that still exists from last year. I, I think – URI has a decent path, honestly. They've beaten UMass twice. Um, you know, at Amherst, they were very impressive in that game. I, I know oh, you guys were up there that night. Uh, that was a great game. I think they led by 24 or 25 in the fourth quarter before they took their foot off the gas. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't really see anything from UMass that, that could threaten them in, in that game. I, I think URI 
matches up well with them in, in that way. Uh, you know, so I certainly think that there is a path there to the final. Uh, VCU won at Dayton. Uh, that's their only league loss of the year. Could lightning strike twice? Maybe. Um, you know, but I, I think that in order for you or I to get in the tournament, I, I think they are going to have to be Dayton in the championship game. Yeah. And yeah, that that's going to be a tough task for sure. Would you pick URI to beat Dayton? That like, I know we just talked about how URI has beaten UMass twice this year and it, it's going to counteract my question, but do you think there is something psyche there to beating a team three times in one year? Like, do you think Dayton would be like, could possibly kind of overlook it and side question the conspiracy theory in me if Dayton loses that game on Sunday, they're in. So that game would mean more to URI and the conference as a whole to get two teams in. Do you think that plays into any of this in that? So you're 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 suggesting that Bernadette McGlade might place a call nope. to the officiating crew no. on Sunday I, on, I, uh, I, I, the morning I, of the title game? No, no but you can't <laughs> see my winking. And, and say, uh, you know, hey, you or I need to shoot 30 free throws today. Uh, you know, otherwise you're all fired. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, you know, not that conference commissioners ever do that and, and not that Bernadette would do that. Uh, you know, Seriously, she, though, especially being on the on the regular committee. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, she, she, is, she, is, she is well above reproach. Uh, <laughs> you know, you you won't find too many more respected conference commissioners than, than Bernadette McLeod. More so of a Dayton kind of overlooking the third game against URI and thinking, oh, no matter what happens, we're in. Maybe they take the gas. Obviously, you're playing for a conference championship, but could you see a point where URI gets up five or six, Dayton kind of takes the foot off the pedal, something like to that nature, if that gets to that point? I mean, it, it's possible. That is human nature, right? I, I, I don't think it's a ridiculous suggestion. I, I would say that you know, just looking at the bracket right now, Dayton is, is listed as the automatic qualifier, but they're only an 11 seed, so they don't have a ton of buffer there um, themselves. I, I think they're going to go into this tournament feeling like they need to win it as well, um, or at the very least reach the final. Uh, you know, I, I, I think in order for them to feel safe, I, I feel like that's you know what they'll think they need to do. And in terms of URI being able to beat them, I, I think they were more competitive with them in the second game. They, they certainly played a good first half, um, you know, and then got a little physically beat up in the third quarter. Uh, you know, outscored 21 to five there and, and obviously struggled from the field. I think they were one for 10. Um, you know, but I, I, I look at URI and I, I think while they're a good matchup for UMass, I, I think they're a tough matchup for Dayton yeah. from a standpoint that Dayton has big players up front. Uh, they have playmaking guards who can get it off the dribble and who can shoot a little bit. Um, you know, I think they're a really good team. Uh, and, and I think that if Dayton is able to get into the tournament as, as a, you know, 11 or 10 seed or somebody else, I, I guarantee you anyone across from them won't be thrilled uh, that they're there. Uh, you know, and that extends all the way into the second round. I, I, I think they're one of those teams that could be dangerous. Um, but I think URI is, is, you know, they'll have a pretty clear idea of, of what they need to do going in there. I, I think they'll have a pretty clear game plan if, if they do face Dayton for a third time. You know, whether or not they're able to make some shots and, and stretch the floor a little bit. They've taken double-digit threes in each of the last three games. It, it's been a point of emphasis to try and spread the floor a little bit more. You know, whether or not they're able to hit a few of those and, and catch Dayton on a hot shooting day, we'll see. Now, as we start to wrap up with the women and stuff, I think one question that we could ask is, Obviously, we want the women to win the A-10 tournament, go to the NCAA tournament. 
But if for some reason that doesn't happen and they find themselves in the women's NIT, win a couple games there, would should URI fans and all that, given the circumstance, consider this season a success? Oh, no question. Uh, yeah, no question. Um, you know, they picked second in the league. They finished second in the league. Uh, you know, so they hit that mark. Uh, the only team they lost to was the league champion. Uh, you're talking about a program record for wins. Um, look at what's happened off the court with with attendance at a couple of these games down the stretch. Especially look, season tickets, too. Don't forget that, especially. Right? Season tickets. Uh, you know, you've had donors, fresh donors coming into the program. Um, you know, have contributed more money than, than has been raised in the past. Um, you know, you look at the fact that we're sitting here talking about women's basketball at URI. And, you know, three or four years ago, we wouldn't have been doing that, um, you know, because there, there wasn't really anything good to say. Uh, you know, I, I just think that it I think the hardest thing to do in college sports is, is to get yourselves to a place where you're relevant, where you're part of the conversation, where you have that buzz. Um, you know, it goes back to to what we were talking about earlier with the men. You know, the hardest thing to do with a losing team is try to convince them that they can win, that they should believe uh, that they can beat better teams than them. Um, and I think that the URI women have, have done a fantastic job over the last three years under Tammy. Um, you know, just playing themselves onto the stage and, and just sort of elbowing their way to a place uh, where we talk about them now and we expect them to win and we expect them to be good. Uh, I don't think that's any small accomplishment. So, yes, unqualified success to, to this point. And now what would you say the next step for this program is to take that next step? Obviously, the first key in that cog is keeping Tammy Reese at least another couple of years. But outside of the obvious, what does what other steps does this program need to take to stay relevant for years to come? Yeah, I you know, I'm curious about that because I, I wonder how much ceiling is there. You know, are we are we even close? Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily old enough to remember what UConn was like before Gino Ariema got there. I think he got hired in you know 1986 or 87, somewhere around there. That long? Wow. You know, I'm, I'm not I'm not old enough to remember uh, what Tennessee was like before Pat Summit got there. Um, you know, but I, I and, and that's not to say that Tammy is going to be Gino or, or Pat Summit. That's that's you know. For anyone who's listening to this, just slow down. <laughs> um, you know, but I, I do wonder, uh, you know, for a program like this, in a league like the A-10, where you do have a nice arena and a good place to recruit, and you are going to add a practice facility at some point here, um, you know, and you are paying Tammy more than you've paid any other women's coach previously, uh, you wonder how much more is there. Uh, you know, you wonder if this uh, could be a, a vehicle for marketing and development uh, at URI to maybe add to the budget for the women. Um, you know, if this is a point where they can recruit better uh, stateside, because they obviously have a great connection internationally, um, you know, is this going to put them in living rooms with more players who are closer to Rhode Island, uh, you know, who other teams in the league are recruiting, uh, whether that's in the A-10 or in the Big East? Um, you know, are you going to be able to sustain this year over year without using transfers and, and maybe with having – you know, more four-year developmental players who, who are a little bit higher value targets for you. Um, you know, you wonder about that. You wonder about the caliber of player that, that you're going to be able to bring in. I, I, I'm just, I wonder how much more is there uh, to maximize this. And I'm not as familiar with the business side of women's college basketball, uh, you know, so I couldn't necessarily say, but I'm certainly intrigued by, by what they've done this year, by what they've established here. 
you know, and I'll be intrigued by how the department sees that and what sort of steps that they're prepared to take next. And I just think it not just taking a step back from, I don't know if it's because I've been following it more this year, but as a whole, I feel like women's college basketball in the last couple of years has taken that next step collectively. You're seeing it on ESPN. You're seeing it in the March Madness stuff. I just, it's going to be a very interesting to see college women's college basketball grow and the WNBA grow in the years to come, in my opinion. And it's great to see finally that these women who are trying just as hard as the men and all that stuff are starting to get the attention they deserve. Yeah. We're, we're sitting here We're the 50 year anniversary of title nine. And while that sounds like a long time, you, you have to remember that the men have been playing basketball for 70 years longer. Um, you know, and that institutions have been geared towards supporting them uh, for 70 years more. Uh, and that you could look and you could say that the financial realities of, of men's basketball and, and major college football have been realized, uh, you know, through the form of huge TV deals and, and uh, you know, big development staffs at certain schools and, uh, you know, the advent of power conferences and whatever else. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll admit, you know, as a media member that we've been complicit in that as well. Uh, you know, we certainly haven't covered women's sports like we've covered men's sports. Uh, you know, we'd look at it and say that, yeah, the interest has been there in men's sports. Have we really given women's sports a, a try over the course of, you know, the last 50, 100 years? Uh, you know, certainly not on the equal footing uh, with the men. So I, I would say I'd be really interested to see just how much more is there. And, and you look at women's college basketball now and you've got charismatic players like Paige Beckers and Caitlin Clark and Aaliyah Boston. And, and you know, now we're in the era of, of name, image and likeness. And those players have a chance to promote themselves and, and make money for themselves while they're still in college. Um, you know, and I think that with social media being what it is, that the good sides of it, uh, and, and believe it or not, there are some good sides to it, uh, <laughs> even though they, they do tend to get obscured every once in a while. Um, you know, I think that that allows us to, to communicate, to, to touch people in a way that we couldn't 20, 30 years ago and, and maybe be able to publicize uh, what to now has been a fringe product. Uh, you know, and so I think that there is certainly future there for women's college basketball. There's certainly more ceiling there. Uh, you know, I'm interested to see if, if your eye commits to trying to find out uh, at what point will it bump its head on that ceiling. Now, obviously, finishing things up here, a uh, couple awards given out in the A-10. So, uh, Emmanuel Tahan, uh, first team, all-conference, and then MP Fapasi and Des Moore with third team. Bill, who do you think the MVP of this women's team this year is uh, for the for the team? Or do you think that it's really hard to give all that award and everybody should be kind of given a little piece of the pie? You know, it's, it's a great question. Um, you know, and I, and you look at the rock, you look at the roster and you look at the starters and how many minutes they all play, um, you know, and how tight the rotation is. Uh, there's a lot expected of all of their players on a given night. Um, you know, I would say that you've gotten probably what you've expected from Tahan and, and probably what you've expected from Fapasi, um, I think Elmore has been the big addition, uh, you know, and I think if, if you were going to look internally, I think you'd probably give it to Des Elmore because I, I don't take it for granted that it's difficult coming from a school where you are the centerpiece uh, of an offense, of a roster, um, and fitting into a role at another school. And, and I know that you know, Des has a, a previous relationship with Tammy Reese. They were together at Syracuse. I, I understand that. 
I don't necessarily think, though, that that always translates um, to on-floor. And, and I think what, what Elmore has been able to do this year, um, you know, particularly from like a rebounding perspective, uh, from a defensive perspective, um, you know, just with her general toughness, I think that she brings to the lineup. Uh, I think she's probably been the piece that has slid in with the returners from last year and allowed them to play at such a high level. So I, I think that she'd probably get my vote. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And Gary's laughing at me because he didn't realize going into the first Dayton game how big of a difference Des Elmore made. And we were watching the first half of the second Dayton game, and I was like, see that Des Elmore right there? She played the game at the Ryans, and I fully believe you or I would have been able to complete that comeback and come back and win that game of date at <laughs> not, the Ryan Center. He's not wrong. So I just literally – that's why he just laughs at me now when he, he points her out every time we see her. It's like, look, there's Des. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, now, obviously, with the tournament happening, you know, you or I playing tomorrow at this point. Tomorrow, obviously, when we release this, whatever. Where do you think you or I will end up uh, in this A-10 tournament? Uh, I, I, think, I think certainly – they're going to be in the finals. Uh, like I said before, I, I think they have a good draw. Um, you know, Duquesne or St. Joe's, if, if you just come out and play well early uh, and you're the favorite team, the, the sooner that you take command and, and assert yourselves in a game like that, I, I think it makes it easier. Uh, don't give the other team a, a chance. You know, don't give them any belief that, that they can upset you. And then UMass, I, you know, I think they're a good matchup for UMass. I, I think that they can beat UMass again. Um the second game in particular, they did a really good job on Sam Breen, who's a player of the year in the league. Uh, she was pretty much a non-factor in, in Amherst. Um, and if they do see Dayton again, I, I think you're going to have two desperate teams. Uh, I think it's going to be the team that, uh, you know, quite honestly, shows more desperation on that day. Are, are, are you willing to defend more? Are you going to hold someone to 30%? Are you going to turn them over 20 times? Uh, I think URI has the will to do that. I think Dayton might have better physical pieces to do that. Um, I think they might have just one more player in their rotation, uh, you know, and maybe just a little bit more uh, in terms of skill, in terms of being able to score from the perimeter when all else fails. Uh, so I would say I would pick Dayton to win the A-10 tournament. I would not be surprised if URI is able to get it done in a third meeting. Uh, and, and honestly, guys, I – would be stunned if it's not those two teams playing in the final, because I think that, that those two are head and shoulders better than yeah. the rest of the league. I completely agree with you watching the, watching all the A-10 women's basketball, they, it's Dayton, URI, and then everybody else. And Hey, that's no slouch. If they make it to the final, go to the NIT, have a few more home games, but I can guarantee you one thing, Gary and Andrew will not let that team go down without a fight in our loud voices. We'll nope. be driving back from Delaware <laughs> with no voices, yelling at those Dayton players. Excellent. Um, but I think before we wrap this out, I know Gary and I, we're big Rhode Island fans, and we're not obviously – we obviously don't like PC, but we're realist. We're state. We're great. We're, we love when all the basketball teams in the state are doing well. I feel like we'd be remiss to ask you about Providence and the magical season they're having and what the ceiling actually is for them this year. Yeah, it's been something to watch, guys. Uh, you know, and, and it's it's a feeling that you – I've done this a long time at this point, and I feel old saying that, but, you know, I'm, I, like I'm not going to sit here and be Grandpa Simpson. 
on you guys. Um, you know, but you you get the sense when you've been around sports for a while and you've worked in media for a while, you get a sense of which teams are special and, and which teams are really bought in and, and believe in each other and care about each other. And, you know, Providence has been that for at least the last two full months. You, you've gotten the feeling that, that these guys had something different going on. Uh, you know, and I, I just think the fact that it's been seemingly a different guy every night, uh, the fact that they could have a, a, a difference maker um, in every game, uh, it, it's just been really interesting to watch. And you, know, you look at them winning games in the Big East, winning close games, uh, games decided by single digits, five points or less. You could say they're lucky and, and other teams had guys out and, and whatever else. And, you know, they've adopted that and they're running with it. It's cute and all that. Um you know, but this is a good team. And, and in terms of modern basketball, uh, they've got a guy in the center, Nate Watson, who, who is reliable. They've got multiple three-point shooters at this point. They could spread the floor with, uh, you know, Jared Bynum and Noah Horkler and Justin Manaya has improved throughout the year. And, and now A.J. Reeves is really hot the last five games. Um, defensively, they play really hard. Uh, you know, that's been the identity of Ed Cooley's teams for a long time is how gritty and how tough they're going to be. And I think he recruits guys to that and he coaches to that. Um, You've had just enough off the bench. Uh, You know, he hit two grand slam home runs in the transfer portal in in Manaya and Al Durham. Um, Those two guys have have been great additions for this group. Um, You know, so I just think that you look at what they did Tuesday night at Villanova. Durham sits. He has a sports hernia. It's not going to be healthy before the end of the year. He is going to need surgery. So they're trying to get him some rest. Uh, they're down 14 at half and it's looking like a throwaway game for them. And the next thing, you know, you look up and it's tied in the second half. These guys just don't go away. That Um, was really impressive to me. Them being able to be in that game at the end without Al Durham. That was really impressive. I I mean, that's the type of game that if, if you aren't connected and you don't believe a certain thing and you don't have a certain talent level, you lose by 25 at Villanova. Uh, you know, the equalizer is the three point shot. They made 15 of them. Um, you know, and the fact that they just believe that good things are going to happen at this point. Uh, you know, you go back to the struggles at a losing program, trying to get to that point. Providence has it. Um, you know, and I think you look at them in the NCAA tournament. If you look at bracketology right now, they're anywhere between the three and, and the five line. Um, you know, I think success for them is winning to their seed level. So I think if you're four seed, you got to win two games. If you're five seed, you have to win at least one. Uh, you know, if you're a three seed, you have to win at least two games. Um, you have to win until you're not favored anymore. I, I think that's how you would define success for them this year. Uh, if they are a three or four seed, you'd like to see them on the second weekend. Uh, you know, and I think that they have the difference makers to do that, depending on the matchups. Um, you know, but it, it has been a very impressive season for them, uh, a great season for Ed Cooley and, and in terms of the program. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. I think that's a great way to wrap it up. I, I think so, too. Uh, now, obviously, if you do want to uh, find Bill, Bill is on Twitter, at BillKotch25. Obviously, you can follow him and subscribe to the Providence Journal to read all of Bill's articles for just $1. Selfless plug there, Bill. $1 <laughs> to sign up for the Providence Journal uh, yep. to read that content. Uh, Bill does cover all college basketball in Rhode Island for the Providence Journal and does a great job of it from our point of view. And from a lot of people's point of view, uh, but Bill, thank you for joining us on episode seven of Roadie Baseline. Uh, hopefully, you know, with the if the women do a really good job, maybe we'll see you 
at an NCAA or an NIT game uh, for the women. And maybe the men will do something. Who knows? <laughs> we don't, I don't want to jinx that, you know. Guys, I, I always enjoy uh, coming on with you. It, it's a pleasure, and, and I appreciate the invite. Um, you know, and like I said the, the first time I appeared with you guys, I really appreciate your passion and, and uh, you know, the fact that you are genuine fans through thick and thin, um, you know, and, and the way that you approach it. You're not, you're not zealots. Uh, you know, you're not, uh, you know, you're not to the point where you're irrational in, in some way. Uh, you know, so I, I really appreciate that, and, and I thank you. All right, we want to thank Bill Koch for joining us on this March Madness episode of the Roadie Baseline. Make sure you please all follow us at Roadie Baseline on Instagram and Twitter. Next time you hear from us, Gary and I will be live from the Chase Center in Wilmington, Delaware, as we hashtag chase the crown with the Roadie women's basketball team. And as always, go... Rudy! <laughs>